to see you guys. Man, it's awesome, awesome to be here with you all. So, sounds like I came a week too early. I want, I want some chicken and waffles, man. That's, that's going to be a party next week. And man, I heard Easter was amazing here. Uh, you know, maybe last week was your first time in church in a long time. So stoked that you're here. Glad that you came back this weekend. Really excited about the journey that maybe you have started. Uh, just grateful that we get to do this together. We're all just fellow strugglers, just trying to, trying to walk with God the best we can. And, and I know for those of you that have been here for a long time, some of you have been here for the whole 20 years. Uh, last weekend had to feel like, oh, we're kind of back, right? And I'm so thrilled uh, for y'all. It's been a long haul last couple of years. So just really thankful for your faithfulness. Uh, I, I am from Kentucky, born and raised there, uh, but I live in Southern California. And I just got to tell you what God is doing there. Uh, we, we're so excited because uh, you, you probably hear a lot of negative stuff about California. We hear a lot of negative stuff about California. I teach at three different churches there. And uh, we went through a much stricter, uh, longer lockdown. Uh, lots of people got mad, uh, left churches, uh, left families, friendships, uh, left the state. Uh, we were online only for a long time. Then we were in the parking lot only for a long time. And then there was like only 100 allowed inside for a long time. It's been a very, very challenging uh, two years. But... With that being said, we were just, we were just happy to love our neighbor. Uh, we, we submitted to the greater good. We just got creative. We tried to stay humble and do whatever we could just to serve our communities. Last weekend was a party. Between those three churches, we baptized 620 people. Yeah. Isn't that cool? I mean, only God. Only God. It was so encouraging to see all kinds of men and women just give their lives to Christ. He is moving into the fear and anxiety and the, the confusion uh, that, that's in the hearts of people. And uh, he, he's been doing it here too. And so, so grateful uh, for the way God moves in the hearts of people. You know, perhaps all this church stuff is kind of new to you. Uh, if it is, if you don't know much about religion, know much about God or Jesus, that's you. I can't tell you how honored that we are that you're here, especially this weekend. Uh, I want you to know that God honors and responds to people who just sincerely search for him. Uh, or, or maybe growing up, uh, you know, your family would show up at church only on Easter or maybe at Christmas and you'd light a candle on Christmas and wonder what the heck is all this about anyway. Or perhaps you've been involved along the way in some kind of very legalistic or toxic or even cult-like religion in the past. Or maybe you had a bad experience with a church or with somebody that claimed that they were a Christian. Or perhaps you've even been a victim of spiritual abuse or manipulation or you were taken advantage of in some way, all in the name of God. Or maybe you've experienced uh, your expectations of God were, were kind of shattered when he didn't seem to come through for you in the way you thought he should. Or maybe you're not even sure that God exists. So wherever you're at and wherever you've been, I just thought it might be helpful today to dive in and explore some of the things that we might have been taught about God. And maybe together we can learn a few new things, but maybe more importantly, we can unlearn a few old things together. I read an awesome book last spring uh, by jo Sky Jahani, and uh, I'd recommend it to anybody that's on a spiritual journey. And what I'd like to do today, I'd like to borrow some of the framework and some of the content of that book to unpack this. He takes five prepositions. Y'all remember prepositions from English class? 
Uh, he takes five prepositions, under, over, from, for, and with, to describe five different ways that people relate to God and see life. Now, I don't mean to brag, but I am a pretty gifted artist. Uh, most of you didn't know that about me. Uh, and I brought some of my incredible artwork today uh, to help us navigate through all this. The first category or posture that people take is life under God. <laughs> what? I told you, incredible artwork, stick figures, that's all I got, that's all I got. But way back in ancient times, it was believed that the universe was not governed by the laws of nature, but by the will of the little g gods. For instance, summer did not come because the Earth's axis shifted, so more sunlight reached the northern hemisphere. Fall didn't come because they were ready for some football. It came because the gods willed it to come. And the gods, or God, were seen as very moody, temperamental, a bit fickle. So if you offered up sacrifices and performed certain rituals, perhaps, perhaps, you could appease the gods, or God. And if you did, you stood a much better chance of getting rain and good crops and good health and financial success and on and on and on. But dang, you better not get on his bad side. I don't know about y'all, but I grew up afraid of God. Most of my life, when I was a kid, I was just scared to death of God. Now, there is a healthy fear of God that the Bible talks about, but that kind of fear is a term of respect and honor and worship and wonder and love and, and awe. It's one thing to fear God that way. It's quite another to be afraid of God. And this life under God posture makes us afraid of God. I used to see God as this invisible creature out there somewhere who really was almighty, and he seemed to be on this huge authoritative ego trip, so I did not want to tick him off. And I have learned that any way of relating to God that's predicated on fear kind of throws you into this spin cycle. It's a spin cycle of fear, appease, control. Fear, appease, control. I'm afraid of God. I got to please him. I'm not sure I did. And maybe if I do, I'll gain some control in my life. And you spend your whole life navigating this series of don't do this and don't do that. And instead of ever really getting to know God, who is your father and the lover of your soul, you spend a lifetime living with the insecurity that you've probably ticked him off in some way. This life under God posture dominated the Jewish culture of Jesus' day. The popular belief about God followed a simple formula. The formula was this, God blesses the righteous and curses the unrighteous. It was taught if you obey his commandments, or at least appear to, you can avoid trouble and disease, you can amass wealth, you can get promoted, you can find favor with God and other people. Consequently, those with material blessings were seen as the righteous people. And those who suffered disease and disabilities and hardships, well, they suffered because obviously they were sinners. There's a time recorded in John chapter 9, the New Testament part of the Bible, where Jesus gives sight to a man who was born blind. It says this, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, teacher, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? See, that's just what they've been taught. They've been taught that for generations. And Jesus answers, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. This precious man is about to bring glory and honor to God, and Jesus heals that man. At every opportunity, Jesus dismantled this life under God 
kind of thinking. Disobedience did not automatically mean calamity would fall on you, and obeying all the rules didn't guarantee your 401k would grow and you'd avoid getting COVID. He would often confront the religious leaders of the day who tried to place all these expectations, all these heavy burdens on people's shoulders saying, follow all these specific rules, especially the ones that we made up, or God's going to drop the hammer on you. Now, this list of heavy requirements that people were expected to obey was referred to as a yoke, like that heavy yoke that they put on oxen, that heavy beam of wood. In contrast, with all these heavy burdens that the religious leaders placed on people's shoulders, check out what Jesus Christ says. He says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find what? Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. You see this rule-keeping, life-under-God way of life? It's a heavy way to live. Man, it's a heavy way to live. I live too long like that. It cannot give us peace. It cannot give us rest. It cannot sweep away our fears. It can't make us right with God. It can't transform us from the inside out. It cannot give us tangible hope. It cannot give us unfailing love. But Jesus can. Then there's the posture of life over God. Now, this is the perspective of atheism and humanism that says there is no God. We are. I mean, I call the shots. I chart the course. I make the rules. I control my destiny. I am self-sufficient for I am Mike Almighty. <laughs> now, it may not be the same as full-blown atheism, but there is a perspective out there that's referred to as deism that many people buy into, actually even some Christians buy into it, where we say there, there might be, well, there probably is a God. But he started the world like this giant self-propelled lawnmower, and he's sitting back on his heavenly back porch sipping lemonade, watching us all struggle down here. He's an absentee father. He's a deadbeat dad. He's inactive. He's uninterested. He's unconcerned. He's uninvolved in daily life. Therefore, someone needs to be God, so might as well be me. You see, we can believe in God and at the same time act as if he doesn't exist. And with this view, this, this life over God, our faith can get reduced to nothing more than just some godly principles that work for us. Rather than seeing the Bible as a way to get to know God, we can just kind of Google search it for some things that make our lives easier, some ideas that will help us achieve our goals and give us control over our lives and other people. Now, please don't get me wrong. I have a very high view of Scripture. I read it, I teach it, I meditate on it, I try to memorize it, try to stick it in my heart, I try to live by its God-inspired authority, I love God's word. But gang, the primary purpose of God's word is for us to get to know him. And we can actually replace a relationship with God for a relationship with the Bible. And we can reduce faith to a series of five ways to a better marriage, raising kids God's way, managing your finances with kingdom principles, seven biblical laws of leadership, 12 steps to recovery. And we can say, I'm not sure about the whole God and Jesus thing, but hey, man, this stuff works for me. I mean, if we got the book, do we really need the author? So we can set God aside in order to remain in control of our own lives. And this life over God stuff's been going on since the Garden of Eden when mankind, including me and you, 
say, we want to be God. And gang, if we take God's place by denying his existence or by pushing him aside as irrelevant, then this life over God posture only takes us one place. That's life without God. And that's no life at all. Maybe you can more relate to this one. Call this one life from God. Life from God. This is the posture that God is a, sort of like, you remember, remember the blue genie from the Disney Aladdin movie? Remember that guy who was voiced over by Robin Williams? Mr. Aladdin, sir, what will your pleasure be? Can I take your order? Jot it down. You ain't never had a friend like me. Da, 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 da. Remember that guy? The blue, the blue. That's like, I'm sorry. Got a little carried away there. But, but life from God sees God that way. Or, or like he's this uh, divine vending machine. You just punch in the right combination of numbers and out comes whatever you want. And this life from God thinking is just absolutely fueled by our consumerism. I'm just wondering for my own sanity, anybody else been talking about something and then you start scrolling through your social media feed and there's an ad about what you were just talking about. I mean, it's weird, isn't it? That's a little creepy, to be honest with you. They know what we're saying. They know what we're searching for. So we are bombarded by anywhere from 4,000 to 10,000 ads every day, all of them telling us that we're lacking in some way. And so this life from God posture fits perfectly into our consumeristic culture. Now, to be clear, Scripture reminds us repeatedly that everything we have comes from God. Jesus' brother James tells us whatever is good and perfect, that's a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. And Jesus himself tells us to ask our good, good Father for whatever we need. But you know this life from God posture, it's more than that. It has a tendency to expect things from God, to live with a sense of entitlement, Instead of a sense of gratitude, instead of just living grateful for God's presence, we expect God's constant provision. In its extreme form, it's known as the prosperity gospel, also known as the health wealth gospel or the name it and claim it gospel, and lots of people out there promoting that kind of stuff. I think that's why Jesus warned us how easily our hearts can get duped and stolen by this kind of thinking. You see, the danger is this. God stops becoming our treasure, and he starts becoming only how we acquire our treasure. Scott Johanny writes this in his book. He says, life from God is so appealing because it doesn't ask us to change. Our comforts, our values, our wants are projected onto God, and we seek religious systems that affirm those desires. Life from God is nothing more than consumerism with a Jesus sticker slapped on the bumper. Jesus told a story one time to illustrate God's unfailing love for people the kind of relationship he wants. And the story is known as kind of the famous, most, most famous story, the, the parable of the prodigal son. Maybe you've heard that. It shows God's character, but it's also a vivid illustration of this life from God mindset because the younger son in the story, the prodigal who takes his inheritance early and blows it all in a wild lifestyle, this kid valued his father's gifts more than he valued his father. He wanted everything that his dad could give him. And once that happened, the relationship was no longer necessary. And gang, it can be no different with us. We can seek a relationship with God as a means to an end. We can value what the Father can do for us, but not the Father himself. 
And when we fixate only on what we can get from God, that's when we fail to experience his peace and his presence in our lives. Then there's one that hit me between the eyes. Life for God. I've fallen into this posture a time or two in my life. Maybe you have too. It's where we say, I'm on mission, man. I'm passionate about transforming the world. I'm not consumeristic like those other soft and lazy life from God Christians. I, I'm doing life, I'm doing life for God. Now, none of this dismisses the, the incredible importance of God's mission in the world or his particular calling on our lives. We're supposed to make a difference in our lives. We're supposed to be salt and, and light, but it's so easy to put the mission in the place of God. I mean, I have done it. And before we know it, our mission, our purpose, our gifting, our calling, our ministry starts becoming our God. Let me ask those of you who are pretty familiar with the Bible, who within the pages of the New Testament would you describe as sold out, driven, passionate, on mission, gonna change the world kind of guy? Yeah, most immediately would think of Paul. I mean, dude's out there risking his life, traveling, preaching, planting churches, sacrificing, jumping in and out of prison all because of his faith. You would say, now there's a man living for God. And although his mission dominated his life, it did not define his life. Everything in his life, including God's calling on his life, took a backseat to his number one passion, God himself. And he was a guy who had done it all. He'd done under, he'd done over, from, and, and for. He'd done all of this. And look what he writes. While in prison, because of his calling, he says, I just want to know Christ. I just want to know Jesus and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him if need be, sharing in his death, so that in one way or another, I will experience the same resurrection from the dead. He's saying, above everything else in my life, my main passion it's just knowing Christ. He also wrote this passionate plea to all of us when he wrote, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will actually start to overflow with thankfulness. Out of all the things he could have prayed for us. He says this in Ephesians 3. I pray that you may have the power to understand or to grasp, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. Then, then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. He is saying with every ounce of energy within him, you got to get to know Jesus you got to grasp and experience his love because if we don't experience God's love, we will continue to search for acceptance and security and significance in this world, and we're not going to find it. You know what? Honestly, sometimes the people who fear insignificance are the most driven to accomplish great things. Gordon MacDonald calls this way of life missionalism. It's the belief that your worth is determined by the achievement of something great. He writes this, missionalism starts slowly and gains a foothold in the leader's attitude. 
Before long, the mission controls almost everything. Time, relationship, health, spiritual depth, ethics, and convictions. In advanced stages, missionalism means doing whatever it takes to solve the problem. In its worst iteration, the end always justifies the means. The family goes, health is sacrificed, integrity is jeopardized, God connection is limited. And it all starts with this perspective of life for God. That story that Jesus told about the prodigal kid, it's only half the story. Because there's another son very different from his younger life from God brother. This guy was reliable, trustworthy, obedient, and represent all those who were working for God. So when the wild younger brother comes home, the dad, of course, embraces him, throws this huge party to celebrate his return, and the older brother is not having it, man. He throws a fit, refuses to come, says to his dad, all these years, all these years, I have served you. I've been the good kid. I've worked hard, and this irresponsible jerk comes home, and you throw him a party? I've never had a party after all I've done for you. And this is the thanks I get? Jesus told this story in front of a bunch of very devout religious leaders who got their significance from working for God. And Jesus is certainly not telling them that faithful service is wrong, but when you find your worth there, and it honestly becomes all about you, It just leads to entitlement, self-righteousness, resentment, bitterness, anger, and smug arrogance. And that is a heart that's very far from the father. You see, for both sons, all the father ever wanted was for them to be with him. That's all that God's ever wanted for us. It's all he's ever wanted. When he looks at you, he sees his child created in his image and radically loved. He sees someone that he's always just longed to do life with. If you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, uh, you will see that God created man and woman and he walked with them. That was his desire from the very beginning. In fact, it even says this in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. It says, long before he even laid down earth's foundations, long before there ever was a garden of Eden. He had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. We were created in his image so that we might live in relationship with him as the focus of his love. And God's original intent to live with us is also in display in the closing chapters of the Bible in the book of Revelation where John writes this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God from start to finish. We were made to do life not under, not over, not from, not for, but with God. I'm telling you, gang, with changes everything in your life. Now, maybe you're thinking, oh, I hear you, man, but I'm not so sure you want to do life with me. I got a friend who's been sober for a long time now, and he's sponsored and helped all kinds of people. Uh, he, he would talk about how he would meet new guys that were coming in the recovery program, and they would say, there, man, there's no blanking way I'd ever turn my life over to God. He'd ruin it, and I'd probably deserve it. Then he would help them unpack their perception of their loveless, demanding, judgmental God. And my friend would always tell him, you know what you need to do? You ought to fire that God of yours. 
you got the wrong God for recovery because the God who operates here is loving. He's kind, encouraging, forgiving, honest, and will always be there for you. Yeah, you know what? I had a God like yours when I first came in here. I had to fire him and get a new God. Now, please don't misunderstand me. You can't fire God. And there is only one God. It's just that the God many of us perceive is not the true and living God. We need to fire our misperceptions of God. I had to fire my old God. I had to unlearn some things about him. I had to learn about his true character. And that's why studying the life of Jesus has helped me so much. I've said it here many times. I believe that Jesus came not only to lay down his life for our sin, but also to show all of us what God is really like. And by studying the life of Jesus, I learned that God is love. That God embraces outcasts and fights for the underdog and he touches untouchables and he mends the broken and he sets the addicted free. I discovered that he really likes people like me. That he really wanted to do life with people like me. It was eye-opening for me reading about Jesus and the way he interacted with all kinds of people like me. And I would encourage you, if you haven't done it, read what's known as the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament part of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's all about Jesus. Maybe even start with John. I'm telling you, it was revolutionary for me. Still is. As well as some of these scriptures that helped me and made me want to know God and made me want to do life with him. And these are just a mere sampling. There's so many more, but just check them out. I'll, I'll go through them real quick. Uh, like Psalm 56, verse 8 says this, you keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book that tells me that God deeply cares. That's the truth about him. Psalm 103, the Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him, those who respect him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we're only dust. He created us. So he knows us inside out and he cares very deeply. Psalm 32, verse 10, unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. Psalm 137, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love and an overflowing supply of salvation. There's only one place to get 100% unfailing love. It's not with your spouse, it's not with your parents, it's with him. Cast all your anxiety on him, First Peter says, because he cares for you. He says, all that stress you're feeling, all that anxiety in your heart, all those worries, all those fears, just, I'll take them. Give them to me. That's who he is. Hebrews 13, 5. Don't love money. Don't fall for what it promises. Instead, be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. He is not an absentee father. He is not a deadbeat dad. God himself says this in Isaiah 43, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you because I will be with you. In his famous song about God being a shepherd, David writes this down, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me me. Your rod and your staff that comfort me. And if I know all these things about God, if I know in my heart I'm eternally safe in the care of the good shepherd, I'm set free from that endless cycle of fear, appease, and control. I'm free to enjoy the present instead of worried about the future. I'm free to forgive other people instead of holding on to grudges. I'm free to give rather than hoard. I'm free to serve other people. I start to live with gratitude in my search for acceptance, my search for security and significance. 
Man, that search is over. And it all starts by knowing that God just wants to do life with me. What's so incredible about God is that he made the first move to restore the broken relationship that we had broken. And it's no surprise that when God desired to mend our broken relationship, he sent his son, Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God with us. His plan to restore creation was not to give us a mountain of rules that we had to, had to keep, that we felt oppressed and scared of God. His, 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 his plan to restore us was, was not to give us just some godly principles so we could gain control of our own life and we could be our own God. His, his, his plan was, was not to just give us all kinds of stuff so we would get further and further into consumerism. His, his goal was not to just give us a task to perform so we could prove ourselves to him. Instead, God came to be with us to once again walk with us, to work with us, to cry with us, to laugh with us, to, to, to do life with us. That's who he is, and that's what he wants for us. When I think about my God, who made the stars and named them, who took earth and sea and framed them, pulled back ocean tides, restrained them, breathed life into his own and named them, when I think about our, my God, who before he gave the wind direction, before he assigned the moon's reflection, before he painted the leaves' complexion, it settled on us as his main affection. Who despite our rebellion, pursued us, though sin skewed us, he viewed us priceless. Chose not to exclude us or let grace elude us, but instead he came to us. Now sin cannot choke us, crush us, or beat us. Shame will not conquer, condemn, or defeat us. We are alive because he is alive. We rise up because he is risen. We know love because he first loved us. And Jesus, and Jesus came not only to reveal what God is really like, but he also came to restore that broken relationship that our sin and rebellion had caused. He really did first love us. On the cross, Jesus took the penalty for our sin and rebellion on himself, and he died our death, and he came back from the grave, opening up a way for us to be with him forever. You can know God. Do you know that? Instead of life under, over, from, or for, you can just do life with him. You can walk in the awareness of his 24-7 presence every day in your life. Scripture tells us he's not only with us everywhere, but, but, but when we give our lives to Christ, the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in us. I mean, you can talk to him like a friend constantly, all day long. You can lean into him as a loving father. You can know that he's going to work with you. You can know that he's walking down the halls of school with you. He's riding the bus with you. He's going to practice with you. You can know he's sitting with you in that ICU waiting room. You can follow his wisdom down better paths as he leads you through his word and his spirit. You can know and experience his unfailing love. And you can find your worth and identity in what he says about you. You really can walk in freedom and peace and hope. I'm telling you, with changes everything and he invites you into this life with him not under not over not from not for but with him and i want to give you some space to take him up on that invitation today now maybe you can say a simple prayer from your heart maybe just in humility say god i want to come home i want to do life with you and jesus i believe you made a way for this to happen i accept your incredible sacrifice as a forgiveness for my sin. Thank you. I just want to trust you. I want you to lead my life every day as we do this life together. 
So I want to encourage you to talk to God in your own words, nothing fancy, nothing scripted, just the real you, the one he loves. He's not far, he's near, he's with us today. And let me just uh, lead us in a time of prayer. And uh, after that, we're going to respond to God with a time of worship. Father, it's, it's, it's my prayer today that you're breaking through with somebody right now. That you're just tenderly reaching in their heart and you're saying, I want to do life with you. It's all I've ever wanted. That's all I've ever wanted. That's why I made you. Father, I, I look at all these goofy drawings and think about how I've lived all of them. Way too long that I saw you as mad at me, disappointed, disgusted. Such an oppressive way to live my life. Such a fear-based way of living. God, I have tried to be God. You know that. Myself has reared its ugly head and I tried to take control. I've expected stuff from you. Disappointed when I didn't get it the way I wanted it. I tried to find my worth in doing stuff for you. You know how ministry became my God. I'm so grateful that you just broke through to me. And we've been doing life together for quite a while now. God, I pray that everyone here would experience that kind of freedom. That just to do life the way we were meant to do life. To do it with God. To live aware of your presence in our life every day, 24-7, knowing you're with us that you're going everywhere with us, that you're even in us. God, I I pray that, that everyone here would experience that gift. And I pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ who set us all free to do that and made it possible. Amen.